Hey, Soul Sisters, what's the longest, biggest, craziest race you've ever done? I can answer that. For me, it was the Tunnel Hill 100-mile race. I trained for it. I was ready for it, but I didn't have a crew person. I mentioned a crew person because at races that go over you know, well, 100 miles, you can often have a group come with you, support you on the course, and even better, there's at some point during the race, you can usually have someone join you. So crew person has a lot of responsibility, and I didn't have anyone like that. However, I've got a friend in Halifax whose cousin lives in the States. Now, her cousin didn't live anywhere near the race site, but she still came and crewed for me. So virtual strangers... Uh, And yet she came down and she drove from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, down to Vienna, Illinois. Um, I don't know how many states she crossed, but it was a nine and a half hour drive. So what is that? (laughs) That's 19 hours of driving one weekend to support a complete stranger. So it was something that I'll never forget that completely allowed me to finish the race far less miserable than I would have been by myself. And I spent a few minutes talking to Maggie. So um, Maggie, thank you again. And here's how we both reminisced about the Tunnel Hill 100 mile race. Hey, Soul Sisters. So with the first podcast, I talked to my good friend Melissa about the first marathon that we ever did all the way back in 1992 and the crazy two-week training plan that we had for that. Um, So then that got me thinking about another crazy event that I did 24 years after that. So in the fall of 2016, I did my first and only 100-mile race. And for my good friends in Canada, that's 160 kilometers. At that point, I had already done uh, so many marathons, I don't even know, 60 marathons or something. And and I had done a 50-mile race, um, and I had done a a whole bunch of 50K races. So I definitely felt like I could do a 100-mile race, but I never really wanted to do one until a really good friend of mine who I thought of as being a a perfectly normal and reasonable woman did a hundred mile race and I thought well it was one of those things that I distinctly remember thinking she wants to do it she did it huh I wonder if I could do that too yeah, I could do that. So it was it was definitely a be the inspiration um, moment where a friend did it. And I thought, I, yeah, I'd like to do it. But I was only going to do it if she helped me. So she actually did help me. She lent me her gear. She had done, she'd done the race the year before. She gave me all the intel. And I took 100 days and I trained for this um, ultra. And it's funny because at that point, I knew I could do one. I just knew it. I, I didn't know how I would, but I, I knew I could. So I decided I'd do it. And the nice thing is the confidence that I had before the race ever began um, served me very well in the race when it it, it got difficult and hard, um, which of course it did. So knowing I could do it, I still wasn't quite sure how how I should train. And I once again followed a ridiculous training plan when I think about it. I think 100 days was actually plenty of time. Um, It was more how I did it. So the hardest thing I did in all of my training was my friend, who I I won't say. um, She didn't want me to interview her. She was a little bit shy for the podcast. Um, 
So I'll just call her Coach. So Coach, she made me give up sugar. And the reason she made me give up sugar is, is of course, sugar is a, an inflammatory, but I have an incredible sweet tooth. So by taking away sugar every single day for 100 days, I was thinking, well, why am I giving up sugar? Oh, yeah, I'm giving up sugar because I have this race. And this race is so important to me that every time I have a meal, I'm thinking of the race. Um, and after a while, it's really not so hard to give up sugar. Uh, the minute you start to eat it again, though, <laughs> that taste comes right back. So, um, and I just basically let her give me a lot of guidance. And I know from some traditional training plans, you would do on the weekend a long, really long run on a Saturday and then a, a fairly long run on Sunday. And I didn't do that. I didn't do that at all because I didn't need to train my body to do distance. My body knew how to do distance. And at that point, I was still running so often. I also didn't have to numb my brain. I think a lot of the time when you're training for a marathon, you're just getting used to to being out there and not being bored. So, um, I, I and luckily I didn't have to do that. So again, I, I changed my diet. What I did, which was was very unusual for me, instead of running really long uh, runs. Whatever I ran in the morning, I had to do that distance as a walk in the evening. So it got me used to just being on my legs. And I had never really been a walker before. So, you know, initially, different parts of your body are sore from walking if, if you're only running and vice versa. You know, if you're a walker that becomes a runner, you notice that different things are sore. So if I ran for an hour in the morning, I'd walk for an hour in the evening. And that's really the only thing that I did different. Now, where it gets even more unconventional is I had 100 days, so I ran four marathons because I thought, well, you know, a marathon's pretty good training. And in those marathons, I tested out the the different things I would try to eat during the race. And if any of y'all saw me in PEI, you saw me eating uh, sweet potatoes for the entire race um, out of a Ziploc bag. I know I looked crazy, but I wasn't there to race as much as practice racing. Um, and I discovered that I was not going to eat sweet potatoes during my um, my 100-mile race because I, I need to chew a little bit. And there just really wasn't a lot of chewing with sweet potatoes for anybody that wants to know that tidbit. Um, and the, the other three races, they all went really good. Two of the marathons were basically uh, two weekends in a row. And I tried to run before each marathon. So, you know, get up and run 90 minutes before the marathon. So I definitely had done, I'd done a lot of distance. And then, oh, I don't know, maybe we'll see 100 days of training, maybe around 30 or the 40th day of training, I actually went down to the race site and ran 36 miles, which at that point was was absolutely the longest I had ever run outside of a race. So just a 36 mile training run in August. Um, and it was, oh gosh, it was so hot. And I just thought, well, if I can do that on this course in this heat, then I'm going to be fine. And, and, you know, mostly I was fine. So that's, um, that, that's pretty, that's pretty radical, you know, only a hundred day training, doing four marathons, um, but just walking so much. And later on in this podcast, you'll hear how incredibly um, fortunate it was that I had gotten so used to walking because I did have to use that. Um, and the other thing that I did, I, I didn't know before I started doing ultras that you don't run the entire time. And I thought, 
you ran for the entire ultra and it's like nobody talks about it. No, you walk, you run and you walk and you do some pattern. Now, because my race course was a really flat course, I was going to have to find a way to basically, you know, um, break up the monotony of just a running. So what I did is I ran 25 minutes and then I walked for five minutes. I actually prefer a hilly course because a hilly course allows you to use a lot of different muscles and you'll feel far less fatigue than if you just have this exact same patterning. So I would I would do my normal running pace, but when it came time to walk, I would walk really fast and I would swing my arms and I would really exaggerate my stride. And I was doing that because I was trying to, to use different muscles. Um, and then I also would use that opportunity to eat. So the, the one thing that I did better than I've ever done in any race in my entire career is I got my nutrition right. Um, I never had any tummy distress, which considering my race was 21 hours and 33 minutes, um, to not have any tummy distress was unbelievable. And I'll be honest, I can't remember what all I ate. I had tested so many things, but now looking back five years, I, I know I had dates. I I had gels, I had sandwiches, I don't even remember, but I know I had tested it in my training. So that was, um, that's a pretty truncated training plan, but it worked for me. Um, and what I'll talk about later in the podcast is when the, the wheels fell off, which, you know, sometimes that happens. I don't think they fell off uh, because I wasn't ready for the distance. I think I was absolutely ready for the distance. And I had a very, very fast first 50 miles. I had a pretty fast first um, 100K, which is 62 miles and then I absolutely fell apart but I fell apart because I had something called a, a baker cyst and and later in the, the podcast I think I, I say bursar or something but it was a baker cyst and it did um that you get that from uh, overuse usually so that's a, a very typical overuse injury but for me I developed it during the race and it actually burst so I'd never had any issues with my knees before this race um, and I know it's absolutely because I was just going in the same sort of patterning motion so that's uh, that's the story of how I trained for and how I, you know, sort of roughly describe um, doing my first 100 mile race. I was incredibly lucky that I had somebody, a complete stranger, come down and meet me and help me get through the race when it got tough. And it did get tough, but I'm very proud of the fact that I am a I'm a veteran of a 100-mile race, and I never, ever, ever want to do another one. And I've said that about marathons. I've said that about a 50-miler, and it's been a lie. But this time, this is the truth. I'm done. That was a, definitely my only 100-mile race. And I hope you enjoy me talking to the wonderful woman that helped get me through the final 24 miles of it. It is now March 2021, and I don't think you and I have actually spoken which I'm embarrassed to say since November, 2016, I mean, really actually spoken to each other. Is that right? I, I think so. Yes. <laughs> and to be fair, I mean, we spoke a lot it, that one day, that 24 hours, but um, not, not, not really before or after. So uh, just to set the stage, um, I'm going to be adding this conversation to the soul sisters podcast. And Maggie, I'm so excited because you're actually a soul sister. Now you're a virtual soul sister last year, or was it this year? Last year I did the, the, the holiday challenge. I needed to get myself outside and running in December. So uh, I definitely signed up for that virtual holiday challenge. 
right. which was so cool when I saw that. So um, I want to go down memory lane a little bit, um, setting the stage, going back to November 2016. You were a complete stranger to me, and we're, we're going to circle back to that. But you had, I do remember you had a lot going on. Can you just remind me of a few of the things that in the couple of months before and after I, I met you, you had going on? Um, I think so. I don't know if you want me to set the stage for how, how we ended up connecting and, and how <laughs> well, soon it was before your race. Um, but yes. oh, no, we're going to get to that. I just remember you were the busiest woman in the world. So tell me why. <laughs> um, so I had been married um, a month prior. I think uh, just in, in early October, I had gotten married. And then about, oh, I think only two weeks before my wedding, I had had a, abdominal surgery. So I had been mm-hmm. very sick. Um, leading up to my wedding before that certainly happens. And you were in, you were in school. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> I mean, were you halfway in, in your program? I, I can't remember that part. Um, yeah, actually, I think I was finishing, I was working on finishing the last of my master's program because I, I ended up graduating, I think, in December of 2016. You're, you're reminding me now because I, <laughs> <laughs> okay, but but Maggie, I'm trying to make the point. Let's see. You had just had a significant surgery. You had just gotten married. I mean, this is all, you know, the month and, and a bit before. And then you finished up grad school. So when I met you, you were in the thick of it. And there is a saying, if you want something done, you ask a busy person. And I remember when you started sharing some of that with me, I was like, Oh my God. So now I would very much like to then have you explain to me how, oh, oh, the whole reason I'm even talking to you. Sorry, soul sisters. This beautiful woman was uh, my crew for my first and only 100 mile race. And part of having a crew is having someone that will will just be there for you, keep you moving, um, provide anything you might need. And I was going down to Kentucky. No, it wasn't Kentucky. It was Illinois. I was going down to Illinois and I didn't have a crew and I was going to do this 100 mile race by myself. And I would have done well. I would have started it. I, I will say, Maggie, that I I absolutely know that. You're part of why I was able to finish it. But anyway, I was going down and I didn't have anybody on my team. And I had a friend um, who knew I was going down. Now, if you could just pick up and explain to the listeners how you and I got in touch, how you became my crew. So um, I think it was it was almost two weeks before the race. (laughs) My cousin messaged me on Facebook and said, hey, you live in Illinois, right? And um, I actually live in Pittsburgh which is not necessarily <laughs> close to Illinois. Um, and I was like, no, I don't. But she sent me this, this that you were looking for a support person. And I was like, well, I was thinking of running a half marathon that weekend. I, I may as well just go and do it. So, it, I mean, it was nine and a half hours drive away and we had never met before. So I talked it over to my husband yeah. and he was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you for a second because I really want to make sure Right now, I think it's mostly Canadians listening to the podcast. Um, y'all, nine and a half hours. I know that's not a big deal to Canadians to drive that far, but that's ridiculous. How many states did you have to cross to get to me? I mean, you weren't close. You were like a few, few, four, I don't know. Three. But, I think at least three. <laughs> okay, at least three. Anyway, it was, a, it was a long drive on the weekend, again, for a woman who was very busy. 
Um, I will say about Matt, I don't know if because y'all were recently married, you still had a little bit of adventurous spirit or he was still like honeydew list and yes, ma'am. I don't know. Actually, he was great. I, but I think it's phenomenal they gave up the weekend. So so you but but more than being willing to pay someone, you you drove all that way. You didn't you didn't know me. You knew I didn't have anyone. But what what on earth? Is this just what you do? Do you just like take in stray dogs and rescue animals? <laughs> I mean, what, what, I'm still flabbergasted that you were willing to do this. Or are you just a very adventurous person? Like, think, think, I mean, try to remember what, why on earth were you willing to do this when you had no time to spare? Um. Well, I think I, I didn't, for me, it was supporting somebody else, um, and my cousin had expressed that you were a close friend of hers and yep. that, you know, like she had not done marathon distances and that you needed somebody to do it. And I was like, well, I was planning to race. I'm not in marathon shape, but, you know, like I know <laughs> that I could get through a marathon distance if I had to. So why yeah. not? And I think um, <laughs> my husband and I do. We travel at the time. We don't anymore. But at the time, we were traveling um, regularly for, for my races. I was doing marathon distances um, prior to 2016 uh, yeah. quite quite often and, and traveling for them. So it, for and us, then, it wasn't a big deal. You had also done a half Ironman, uh, pr- not branded Ironman, but you, hadn't you just done? Um, I did a full Ironman in oh, October of 2015. Okay. Apologies, a full iron distance race one year before. So, so you, I mean, a hundred mile race didn't scare you to crew. I think, I think, I mean, I know that because, because you did it. So, and I I will say in case your cousin, I won't say her name, but in case she's listening, um, I had to laugh because she honestly thought that, you know, you were going to be near where the race was because she doesn't know geography and and that's fair. I don't know geography. So, (laughs) you know, and I'm gonna go ahead and call her out by name. So Jana, if you're listening, thank you for getting us in touch. So, um, okay. So now we'll, we'll, we'll jump to the, um, the race weekend. And, and I will say that for me, knowing that you were an iron distance athlete, that gave me a lot of confidence that you would be a good crew person because there's just so much involved with, with that, whether that's planning, um, or actual race day. So I just thought, wow, I've, I've absolutely, um, hit the lottery in a, in a hat and I did. So, so you guys came down, um, oh gosh, I, you know, it's been five years, but because of the pandemic, it feels like 50 years. So between the two of us, we might have trouble with memory. Um, but I know, I had booked a hotel that I didn't use. Oh, sorry, not a hotel. It was a motel. And it ended up being so gross, so bad that y'all couldn't even stay there, right? I mean, that's... that's Yeah, I I remember that. Um, But I remember that Matt, my husband, was very concerned about getting you your money back (laughs) for that hotel. Um, Because it was so bad. Oh, my. Um. So, so you came down, you had to, you had to pay your own gas, you had to pay your own accommodations, and then you gave up, uh, well, 24 hours. So this is how I remember our adventure. Um, I'm not used to having people cheer me on at races or come to a race and, and support me. So you showed up like at the start of the race and I was like, oh my gosh, you don't even have to, to, to be here. So I was already like, wow. And we had just met the night before and and you seemed lovely, but you know, we didn't know each other. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're here. And you, you were like in and out the whole, the whole day before I even really needed you, which was unbelievable. Um, 
so thank you again for that. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me, when, when I think that when it got really critical, like, well, we had planned on you, um, actually being with me for the, the final 25 miles, or was maybe that was a rule that you couldn't join me until I got to 75 miles. Do you have, do you remember how that, I, I know you ended up helping me before with, with stuff, but that that's when you actually physically were able to be on the course with me. Right. Or am I missing? Yeah. The last, it was like the last 24 or 25 miles. I can't recall exactly where oh. we got to join together, but yeah, it was that last bit. Okay. Okay. So I, I distinctly recall seeing you after, and just to tell folks, this was down in Vienna, Illinois, which is just real close um, to Kentucky and, and Tennessee. Uh, but the, the way the race works is it was a, a out and back one direction and then out and back uh, another direction. So effectively it was kind of like 25 miles, 25 miles, 25 miles, and then final 25 miles. Um, and the first, the first 50 miles really went pretty amazing for me, which was, was kind of shocking because I had done a 50 miler before that that went awful. And I came through and I felt really good, except my toenails were a mess. And I lost a lot of try- time trying to get my toenails fixed. Um, but I thought I was okay. And I thought I didn't need you and Matt. But we quickly discovered that was, was not the case. My, my memory is that I was not so good after 50, but maybe okay till about 60. Um, and, and you guys were able to drive on the course. So I actually saw you before I expected to um, during that kind of before it got real bad um, part. Do you have any sense of when you thought, oh my gosh, I really am going to have to step up and basically throw this woman over my shoulder and, and finish the race for her? Or, or did, did it, did it seem, seem okay at that point to you? Um, well, <laughs> let's, let's talk about your first 50. They were incredible. Okay. I went back to your times very quickly. You did that yep. first 50 in like just over eight hours. Like maybe yep. it was, it, it was incredible. And I was like, man, I don't know if I'm even going to be able to pace her. Like she's going to be tugging me along. So you know, <laughs> your first 50 were, were absolutely incredible. Yep. You, they you were, were amazing. They um, were and I. I will interject that I did not run that too fast. Sometimes people blow up. I didn't run it too fast, but I did wear compression socks for the first 50 miles. So anyone that's planning a hundred mile race, um, I had been told don't wear the compression socks, but I had worn them all during training. And I also believe that if you train something, you can use it. And um, that was a mistake because my toes and my feet swelled, which of course they're going to swell for 50 miles. And that caused an issue. But my first 50 was fat. They were fast and it just felt great. Like I felt like really good. So anyway, you pick it up there, girl. Um, I, I cannot say when I know you did start to slow down after 60. Um, but I never felt like I was going to be throwing, throwing you over my shoulder at any point. You know, like I, (laughs) when we, I, I remember when we started, um, our last miles together that you had said, we're, we're, we're going to jog a mile and then, um, walk a mile. And so we did, we, that first mile, we, we jogged together and then we walked (laughs) and then we got to the mile we were supposed to jog. And I think we made it about a half a mile and you said, we've got to walk. And I think after that, we ended up walking the whole time, but we kept a good pace. And (laughs) yeah, Maggie, you're remembering absolutely correct. So effectively for anyone listening, the first 75 miles was a a mostly run, a little bit of walk. And and I got to Maggie and I had a plan. 
had a plan. It was going to be a mile on, mile off. And I was going to do that. And I, I, like she said, I did one time and then that was it. And um, I don't think I knew when I told you that we were going to have to walk. I don't think I knew that I was going to make us walk um, 24 miles. I, that certainly, at that point, I didn't think it, but that is what we did. So we effectively walked a marathon. So and, and, and please feel free to describe what that was like, because I remember it being awful. You being amazing, but it being so cold and so slow. And I don't think we kept a good pace. It certainly didn't feel like we did at the time. But um, anything, anything that you remember, uh, just, just tell me. Um, I remember starting late. Uh, I, I think it was 10 o'clock at night. You had been going all day at that point. So like, yeah. I, I was like, I have to be tough because she, she's, been so tough all day long and um we we went out several miles and I remember it being dark and cold and thinking that we I probably should have worn a headlamp of something I don't remember if you had one but I remember it being very dark and like we could have fallen off the trail at any point I I think they I recall it being like a a, like a rail trail it was very um, steep on either side and and yeah we we did have enough light from me because I had like lights on my shoes and I had a headlamp but it was scary because fatigue is setting in and it's it's super dark except for exactly where that light might be but I I do remember thinking oh my god somebody is gonna fall down and they're never coming back (laughs) yeah and I remember we had to call my husband to bring us warmer clothes um Because it was very cold. I don't think it was supposed to be as cold as it was for that time of year in the area that we were. Yeah, so, it was, um, it, was, it, was it, had, it had been quite a lovely, warm, warm day. So I think that made it far worse when it went so far. It was way below freezing. I'd have to actually check the, the internet to see what the temperature was. But it was, it was incredibly cold. Um, and part of the reason you were so cold, Maggie, is so one of the things that happens to a long distance um, athlete, whether that's triathlon or just straight running, is after you start to fatigue, it does get it gets harder to stay warm. So I was fatigued and, and you don't generate as much heat when you're walking. So when I was running, all of my layers were perfect, but by the time we were walking and by the time I started to be in distress, I couldn't stay warm. And you gave me, Oh, I will never forget. You gave me the jacket that you had on, even though I had on what should have been plenty of layers, but I was just so unbelievably cold and I didn't want to take your clothes. I didn't. But at that point I was like, okay, okay, I will take, I will take this poor woman's clothing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I know that we had a, we had a dialogue the whole time about, you know, counting down the miles and, and you knew that I went down there. um, I wanted to break 24 hours, but, but worse than that, I wanted to get a place, an award. And it was like the top 10 women got an award and I I did come in seventh. So I got an award, but I remember when a woman went past us, what was always like when somebody passed me and it just felt like everybody was blowing by me, which not everyone was, but certainly people did pass. We'd always talk and it was like, Oh, it's okay. Those were guys. Those were guys. But a woman, (laughs) a woman did go by and it was like, Oh no, what place am I in? So for a long time, our entertainment was making sure that I was still in the top 10, but then it became we were really counting down those miles and they could not come quick enough. I mean, it just, it just felt like it was such an awful slog and I don't know what we talked about, but, but I know having you to talk to was amazing. Did you, did you ever at any point uh, think I was not going to finish? I did not know. I don't think you gave 
an indication was, that you were, you know, oh, like, I was going to finish. I, I was going to finish. I was, there was no yeah. doubt. I was, but because, because we were going so slow, I just wondered if, um, or because it was take, you know, we weren't, we weren't supposed to walk. We were supposed to run. <laughs> we're supposed to get to the finish line is all that I was looking at. Mm-hmm. And I was going to get you to that finish line, you know, you know, no matter what it took, if we, if we had to walk forever, if we would keep yeah. going. Well, and but, you did. And you absolutely did. I mean, you were in it 100% between giving me your the clothing off your back, making Matt run around, get us whatever we needed. Um, you were, you were so amazing. And I'm just still shocked that a stranger would, would do so much um, for me. So my question to you is looking back, if you can remember, what was the hardest part for you? Was it driving down there and driving back? Was it the stress of feeling responsible for me? It, was it any of that? Like, I just know that I can gut out anything, but if I'm coaching someone, I'm way more stressed for them. And I feel like if I were you, I would have been so stressed, um, with that responsibility. And it wasn't your responsibility, but it, but it kind of was too, to, to get me to the finish. I, I cannot say that one thing was more stressful than another. I honestly really enjoyed the experience and did not I didn't feel stressed because I, I knew that you could do it the whole time. I, I, I mean, I, if I would say the hardest part would be your first half being so quick and me being like, I don't know that I'm going to be able to keep up. Um, <laughs> well, but, that's funny looking back. <laughs> that's so funny. It, it truly was an enjoyable experience. I'm so glad that we did it. And um so thrilled that that you I mean I know you had some health issues post race that you'll probably want to touch on but um, I think it's a once in a lifetime experience that that you did you know that that event and it's just such a huge accomplishment so I was glad to have done it well for me it definitely was a a one and done and and to be fair uh, and I will uh, at some point I will in the podcast talk about the health stuff I had um the race absolutely did destroy me what what was really neat and what I liked is I've always been in it like the longer the race the better for me and for the first time in my life I found the line and I crossed it and I did too much for me and it's neat though because you always I think there's a part of us that's always like you know could I do that or I bet I could do that and I know I know this to my core that a 100k race which is 62 miles I could train and I could absolutely kick ass but something about the repetitive nature of 100 miles or 160K, it was too much because I, I did develop a, 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 I had a bursar cyst that, that um, basically burst and then flooded my system with gunk and inflammation. And, and that added to my health issues, which were also related to a totally unrelated surgery a couple of weeks later. So blah, 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 bunch of stuff. I, I, uh, it, it nearly broke me. It nearly killed me. And I'm, I'm not being hyperbolic <laughs> when I say that, uh, but the race itself, if it had stopped at hundred K, it would have been great. Um, I told you then, and I know that you're so, well, actually something did change significant for you. You became a, a mom in this time. How old is your daughter? Is it? it yes. She's uh, 14 months now. 14 months. Okay. Well, so you're pretty busy with her, but I told you then, and Maggie, I'm telling you again now, if you ever decide that you need a crew for a 50 mile or a hundred mile race, I am totally there for you. Um, did, 
did your crewing this hundred mile race, did it make you want to do one or did you think mm, that's fine? That that's enough for me. Just curious. I, I think it a hundred miles is way too far for me. I, um, I think the marathon level is, is my sweet spot for, for running distance. Um, and you know, I've got my eye on another full Ironman distance, I think. So. Okay. Okay. Well, and you know what? I do believe that the world will come back to us. We will get back to racing. Um, I don't think, you know, really big races like, like the Ironman and, and a, a big city marathon will be before 2022. But ironically, Tunnel Hill, um, I guess because they were able to, to do a bit of a staggered start, I'm, I'm pretty sure they went ahead and had the 100-mile race last year. Um, so if anybody's looking for, you know, a, a race and, and if they can travel, Tunnel Hill has a 100, a 50-miler, and a, and a marathon. Hey, well, maybe it's too soon. Anyway, maybe your next marathon you go to, go to Tunnel Hill. Just saying you're, you've already done the distance and this time you could run it instead of walk it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So, um, anyway, so I'll just, I'll just sum up to say that thanks to, to Maggie, I, I was able to do that, that hundred miles in 21 hours and 33 minutes, which is a, it, despite our walking 24 miles or, or 23 or whatever it ended up being, um, was pretty good time. And, and that's because I had somebody with me. Um, and, and, uh, and also just knowing that y'all were there to cheer me on was, was great. And I, I couldn't wait to, to see you each time. So, um, I still can't believe a complete stranger gave up her precious time and, and stayed up all night long and walked and uh, made sure I finished, but, but you did. So, so thank you for that. And, um, I don't want to do any more hundreds. So, so now it's your, your, if you want me for that marathon, you let me know. Okay. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks Maggie. I, I guess I'll talk to you in five more years at the rate we're going. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thank all you. Right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. So I was going to end the podcast there, but then I thought, why don't you tell them about what happened after the race? This is the part that I found incredibly funny. So I didn't include this part at the start, and I guess only the folks that are really in this for the whole shebang will get this part, but I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and my mama and my aunt still live there, and they have what I like to call the fever. They love to gamble, and well, it just kind of worked out that my first 100-mile race took place 25 minutes away from one of their all-time favorite casinos. So we made a deal. We'd have kind of a family vacation, you know, well, mostly, only I'd be gone for 24 hours. So the three of us, after I flew down from Nova Scotia, I flew down to Nashville, and then we drove up in Mama's car with my aunt, and I dropped them off at the casino, which they... um they got me a really lovely room which is in hindsight was great except for the fact that they were doing maintenance and there would be no water for the exact day that I needed it you know how before a race you like to have your coffee you like to wash your face different things if you could have seen the buckets and pitchers of water I had all around the room um anyway I digress so they're at their casino and for the life of me right now I can't think of the name of it but maybe that's for the best and they're gambling, they're doing their thing, they're having their vacation, and I go on off and I do, you know, my 100-mile race. So I come back, and this is where it's really, I mean, to me, I wish I could have seen this. It must, I must have been such a sight. I was so dirty and dusty and tired and 
just so fatigued. Um, but Mama's car is a really nice car, and it basically drove me from the finish line back to the, the hotel. Um, but I'm one of those women, and actually, you know what? I don't even have to say I'm one of those women. I am a woman who, bringing stuff in from the car, I had everything on, you know, loaded up one arm, around my neck, down the other arm, because y'all know how it is. You want to make one trip. Well, I was not moving very well. I was stiff. I was uncomfortable. At this point, I had already walked 24 miles but I had then sat in a car for half an hour and, you know, stiffened up. Anyway, I had everything that I needed to get up into my room on me, which was basically everything in the car because for some reason I didn't just leave it in the car. I don't know, OCD, something like that. So I'm loaded up like a pack mule and I see the small steps, not small, but I see a few steps going up into the casino. Now, I don't want to typecast, but y'all know a lot of older people go to casinos. So these were not aggressive steps, but I knew, mm-mm, can't do those. No way I can do those. But they have an accessible ramp, which I never realized how much distance is included in a ramp. And I, I just wish there was a way around that. But anyway, I get myself into the hotel, um, which is, you know, houses the casino also. But I get into it thanks to that accessible ramp. I stumble, shuffle, scooch, I don't even know, I don't, zombie walk, yeah, that's what I mean, I zombie walk to the elevator, now there are two banks of elevators across from each other, I push the button, and I'm within eyesight of the casino entrance, and I, entrance, and I mention that because there's a security guard sitting outside the entrance watching me, you know, just kind of watching everything, but I mean, I was a sight. If you could have seen all those bags, I'm sure I just looked crazy, and again, I'm dirty, and I'm tired, and I'm not dressed to go into the casino because um, I wasn't going in, but anyway, I'm a sight, so he sees me. I push the button. The elevator, um, I don't know if it didn't come or, or what, I gave up, so I cross over to the other elevator bank, I push that, by the time I get over there, oh, then the elevator finally comes across the way, I can't get back to the elevator in time before the door closes, so then I cross back over to try to get the one on the other side, anyway, I missed three elevators because I was moving so slowly, and I remember to this day, there's so many details I don't have, but I remember saying, you see me, help me, help me because all I needed was one person to hold the elevator door open just to give me enough time to get inside which after me causing a scene beyond the scene of me trying to make it into the elevator uh, they did and then I was able to go on up to my room um, that was just a funny thing that came back to me yes I could run walk a hundred miles I could come in seventh place woman but I could not catch an elevator or I couldn't catch a break you know however you want to take that so that's your little story within a story bye-bye Hey, Soul Sisters. So on Friday, we're going to be dropping the second of our Soul Sisters podcasts. And this one is about the 100-mile trail race that I did five years ago. And I get to go down memory lane with Maggie, who is my pacer. Um, actually, I don't even know. 
Uh, she was my crew and she was my pacer and she was a complete stranger that um, I was only put in touch with two weeks before the race and it all worked out wonderfully. Talk about my training, talk about the race and I just want to say here that I don't think it's very good training advice to anyone so it does sort of follow my previous podcast about um, how not to train for a marathon. This is sort of how not to train for a hundred mile trail race but there are a lot of really good nuggets in there and I hope you'll check it out on Friday.